Hi, and welcome back to the Legal Diaries podcast. I'm your host, Danny. I'm a recently qualified barrister who works in human rights and public interest law, and I also do some consultancy on the side, as well as running the website www.legaldiaries.ie and the Instagram page at legaldiaries.ie. On the podcast, we dive deep into all things health, fitness, mindset, studying, habits, dating, and career, and probably so much more. I will aim to bring you the tools and actionable steps to smash your goals, inspire you to take bold action, and above all else, put yourself first. Welcome back everyone to a Legal Diaries podcast. We are going to be chatting all about sustainable food and agriculture today and I'm joined by the wonderful Brie and Laura. So I will hand off to these two ladies to introduce themselves. So Brie, if you want to go first. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today, Danny. I am thrilled to be here. Um, just briefly about myself, uh, my name is Brie Schulich and I was born and raised on a farm in, in North Dakota. So for our non-American um, listeners, perhaps North Dakota is located kind of in the central um, United States up bordering Canada. Um, and so I was raised on a farm and we grew corn, soybeans, at one time potatoes, and now currently onions. Um, so a, a, a great mix of um, kind of the grain crops as well as um, tapping into the produce industry as well. Um, and at a very young age, I was really fascinated by how things worked and how food grew and how we could improve um, with different varieties and things like that. I would always be um, at test plots with my dad and speaking to seed salesmen, et cetera. Um, and that really kind of was the catalyst that um, drove me to study biology and chemistry as an undergrad. Um, and uh, really enjoyed that and got into kind of both the plant sciences as well as um, human and animal science in that time. Um, and really enjoyed kind of the molecular biology part of that as well. And um, so I did my master's in biotechnology um, and worked on some cotton improvement projects down in Texas for that. Um, and now I am a Juris Doctor candidate at the George Washington University Law School here in Washington, DC. Um, and I guess um, everything outside of school for me is really focused on food nutrition. And I really have fallen in love uh, with sustainability and currently direct um, the sustainability initiatives within the, the GW Law School. Um, so yeah, super excited to be here and I guess I can turn it over to Laura now as well. All right, well thank you for having me. So my name is Laura, I'm known on Instagram as Reduction Radar and I started up my Instagram account about four or so years ago and it was really documenting my food shop. So my food shop is predominantly made up of yellow sticker food. So uh, the stuff that you see in supermarkets that's heavily reduced because it's on its best before date. And the reason being is it's an incentive for customers to buy it rather than the store bin in it. And I've shopped in this way for about nine years and I started up my Instagram account just to show people what I was buying and what I was making with um, what I had. And... And I guess that extends as well to food that I've picked up for free. So that will come from food sharing apps, family, friends, occasionally off the street, 
Um, so yeah, so I guess my Instagram is really essentially what I'm making out of food that would otherwise be wasted. I also blog about food waste, eating well for less. Um, I write a food waste column for Vegan Life magazine and I do the odd piece of, sort of freelance writing and appearances all around eating well for less and reducing food waste. Perfect. Wonderful. So I'm super excited to be joined by you both. You both have a very wealth of experience, a very big wealth of experience, but also from to we have three different perspectives. So obviously I'm from Ireland, Laura's the UK, and then um, Brie is the US. So what if we start kind of what I know you both have gone on this kind of sustainable food journey what kind of sparked that for you or and at what point would you say you're at now with your your sustainable kind of food journey if we just keep with maybe Brie and Laura so if you start with Brie first yeah absolutely um I think really for me it, it began at birth as I was um growing up with with agriculture right in my backyard and learning and kind of everything from planting the seed to harvest and then of course going to the grocery store and picking that up and just really being fascinated with how all those pieces of the puzzle fit together or perhaps they don't um, in some cases and so I think as I've gotten older and now I'm of course out on my own and really been able to study everything down to molecular mechanisms of how to really understand food and preservation and shelf life, for example, and then also just on kind of a personal level, how I, how I decide to, to shop and purchase and at, at what, um, you know, to whom I support in my um, kind of food purchasing journey. Um, and so I guess in terms of where I am now, um, I think that there's always room for improvement, of course, but I'm really grateful for the awareness that I've gained through kind of my study and um, life experience. Um, and so I guess right now I'm, I'm really specifically interested in kind of the nutrition aspect of sustainability as well. Um, I think, of course, um, environment um, is incredibly important, but how do we also provide adequate amounts of nutritious food to everyone. Um, and of course, we're coming at it kind of from a, from a United States perspective, whereby we have over 3,000 miles from coast to coast. And um, unfortunately, not every state in the United States can produce um, food to sustain its own population. So we really have this big transportation of food um, issue as yeah. well. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of kind of where I am now. Um, and yeah. It's, it's been really fun, and I, I think that we're going to really continue to delve deeper into this issue and hopefully make progress in the space as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Laura, what, what about you? What's your kind of food, sustainable food journey been like? Well, it's been interesting, actually, listening to Brie talking because I was probably the complete opposite. Mm. So as a child, I was an extremely fussy eater um you know I sort of grew up on in the 80s and a lot of the food that I had growing up was processed foods I think as well because I was such a fussy eater um it was often easier just to let me have what I wanted which you know consisted of takeaways and um waffles fish fingers beans whatnot and you know, I didn't cook as a child, I didn't cook growing up, so, you know, well into sort of my um, early mid-twenties, 
I was, you know, a sort of a firm can't cook, won't cook. Um, so mm-hmm. I actually had no real interest in cooking, in food waste. In, you know, I don't think I'd even really came across the term sustainability. Um, yeah. And then, so then I guess sort of around 2010, I... Um, started working with my work friend and he would you know we'd sit down and have lunch together and he would bring in all of the everything he'd bring in for lunch would have a yellow sticker on it he'd bring in all and I'd never seen anything like this and at this point I was um living alone and you know so responsible for my own food shop so I was sort of saying well what is this and then he was explaining to me how stores will often um reduce stuff to stop it from being binned and it was like a whole new world so I started like looking out for what I could pick up reduce and to begin with it you know sort of started off with oh I don't know bags of donuts or whatever it was and then I just got such a high from the amount of money that I was saving on food because some of these reductions would be like 75 to 90 percent off you know so I would come home on this massive high and be working out how much it should have cost me as opposed to what it did and you know but then you seem sort of thinking well I can't just live off donuts um so I guess I would start buying a lot of stuff and just experimenting with what I had so I would get stuff because it was reduced and I would like look up recipes and think okay well what can I make with this and so I guess that's really where the journey began because I think initially it sort of started off with well you can save an absolute fortune here to uh, well, do you know what? Let me try this out because it's reduced. I've not tried it before. And let me see what I can make with this. And let's see what recipe I could use this in. And and as the sort of years went by, I just grew all the more confident with cooking with food. I mean, I'm definitely not a fussy eater anymore. Um, you know, there's not a lot that I won't eat now as long as it's vegan. And, you know, and that was part of the journey as well actually when I started shopping in this way I was um, an omnivore and I've now been vegan for um, about two and a half years so so the whole thing just developed really and so I guess for me it's um, shopping in this way has had such an impact that has been far more the monetary you know it's really challenged my relationship with food you know it sort of opened me up to trying new foods and cooking and experimenting and I think by way of that it sort of exposed me to how much food is wasted and how much surplus Mm. food there is and you know and then I guess on the back of that I've volunteered for food waste charities and then I started the Instagram um, account and you know and right in in this area so um yeah, so it was definitely sort of a different, a different journey, um, a different journey in actually. Um, yeah. Because I guess it sort of started off as something that was not on my radar to even have an interest in has become a, a huge passion, really. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, like two two very kind of different journeys. Um, and I'm intrigued, Brie. Is is so yellow sticker food? Would that be a thing in the US? Or you know, I definitely don't think it has a yellow sticker necessarily. But there yeah. are some grocery stores that offer it, but it is fairly far and few in between. I think maybe something 
semi-similar if we have like imperfect produce boxes that we can order. Um, but certainly at the grocery stores, that's not, not very common. Yeah. Well, I can vouch for a few actually, because I was um, in North Carolina um, mm-hmm. in, back in November visiting a friend. So uh-huh. obviously I've always got my sort of yellow sticker radar on and she lives in Brevard in North Carolina. And so, yeah, well, I mean, I spotted a few actually. So, um, okay. uh-huh. yeah, yeah, I can't. So one of them was a supermarket, but I can't remember the name of it. And another one, like you said, was a smaller store. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely not as big as what it is here. But, you know, I think because it is completely on my radar, I'm always looking for yeah. reduced food and yellow stickers, no matter the country mm-hmm. that I'm in. But, yeah, there's definitely some to be... Uh, definitely some to be had and she's always reporting back bless us and oh I was in this store and I've seen um this yellow sticker or I think they have like some green stickers there as well so uh, yeah 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 so that'd be one of my things as well when I'm sort of overseas or yeah um, on holiday always having a look to see what's reduced there because I think in Ireland it's I would say in comparative to the UK, it is a much, like you would get a much smaller range um, within the kind of, because most supermarkets will have the kind of section, which will be the yellow sticker section. um, And some will have them dotted throughout where they are usually on the shelf. But I'd say there's more, there seems to be more of a range of it in the UK. I probably because there's obviously a larger density of food outlets and stuff, but because I, I often see people like on YouTube and stuff do these like YouTube challenges, mainly like UK based um, YouTubers that will do these challenges of buying only like yellow sticker, trying to reduce their waste by purchasing yellow sticker food and stuff. So like it definitely is prevalent in Ireland. I just don't think there's as much. Now that said. Yeah, sorry, guess, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just thinking, I guess the difficulty is with the US as well, it's, it's so huge, you know, so yeah. no doubt it, um, you know, I mean, Brie, you can testify to this, but I guess it sort of varies from state to state and, you know, and I imagine that the food system varies from state to state as well, so. Um, yeah, and how, so kind of tailoring off, coming off from, from that kind of point about yellow sticker, um, how... So how do you guys, in terms of like food waste, so what is your feelings about it? How much is produced? I think I looked up the figures just before kind of we came on to record and I think most of us are pretty high, like as in our, our respective countries. Like I think we're all up about the 30% and I think 60% of that 30 could have been prevented food waste. Um, so what, what, what are your kind of feelings around it? And what, what can we do either personally to cut down or what do you think countries can do? Um, or even say kind of states, because you guys are more kind of federal based, what can states do to cut down on food waste or incentivize people to cut down? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can, I can speak up to that a little bit. Um, yeah, some, some food for thought, I guess. In, in the United States, unfortunately, um, we're the global leader in food waste, which is certainly not something to be proud of. Um, but I think the, the latest figure is that 80 billion pounds of food is thrown away each year in the United States. And I think that's really an unfathomable number to even wrap our heads around. But 
um, for reference, that's equivalent to like a thousand Empire State buildings, the, the huge skyscraper in, in um, New York City. And so I think, you know, those, those numbers are shocking and um, it's, it's really a huge, huge problem. I think in terms of what we can do as, as an individual or kind of my own practice. Um, so I typically do get imperfect produce, which is um, something that um, there are several organizations throughout the United States who will take produce that might not be um, perfect, I guess, that um, wouldn't necessarily be picked up by a consumer in, an, um, in a grocery store. Maybe there was um, some kind of um, sizing issue with sweet potatoes, for example, if they're a little bit smaller, or maybe the apples have a couple of um, kind of like nicks on them, or the carrots are, you know, grown and um, they're, you know, they're not straight and perfect. They might have some curves or something along those lines. And so that's one um, kind of area in which I've personally invested in. Um, but I think, a, a, you know, a big problem is that um, we often in the United States make one grocery run every week um, or every two weeks even. Um, and so we're buying all of this food and then, of course, putting it in the refrigerator to some extent and it's going bad in that way. And so one of my practices um, is to uh, meal prep. And, um, and so that means, of course, like cooking all the food and putting it into the refrigerator or freezer. Um, and then any excess um, I utilize, I also just usually freeze, uh, for example, and that's done in a, in a fairly calculated manner whereby I have, you know, my grocery list for each recipe. And so it kind of helps um, decrease the, the purchase of excess items that might go bad in the, in the refrigerator over time. Mm. Um, so that's certainly a practice. Um, of course, it, it becomes really systemic too when you look at things like schools or um, larger entities, restaurants, for example. Um, and I know there's, there's memes going all around, which kind of uh, make my blood boil a little bit, but it's like people, you know, um, they buy all their groceries and then they order takeout or something like that. I don't know if you've seen that on Instagram, but that's very, very common and prevalent. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with kind of the, the culture of go, 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 like do as much as we can in, you know, as, in, in as little bit of time. And of course, if you're, if you're cooking to some extent, it might take a little bit um, longer. So um, those are a couple of, I guess, issues and um, semi-solutions, but um, I certainly think that there, that there is a, a long ways to go, um, but hopefully we're, we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, and how, um, so coming from a, an agricultural background as well, um, how would your family or you see people in agriculture deal with, say, improper or like imperfect produce or, and, and that kind of stuff um, and trying to um, cut down on food waste there? How, how, what kind of practices would you see there? Yeah, that's a great question. So I can speak, um, for onions specifically, which is what my family produces. Um, and so kind of how we've structured it is um, there's different sizes of onions that go to different um, end users. So like a, a big um, colossal onion, for example, might go to a restaurant and they'll make like blooming onions or something or onion rings, something like that. Um, but there are smaller onions, which we call number two, for example, and those might go to more of a processing plant. Um, and that might make um, like the onion salt or onion powder for seasoning. Um, or something along those lines. And so really what we have taken initiative to do, and I think a lot of producers have as well, is to find an outlet for the variety of products that's coming out of the field. Um, and that is of course variable, right? Um, we're talking about biology and of course we have weather implications and things along those lines, but 
I think I, I also see it from the um, agriculture science perspective. And as we continue to improve our seed, um, it really does help homogenize the fields. And so um, you're a little bit, you're, you're better able to predict, you know, when you plant the seed, what you're gonna get at the end of the season. Um, and so I think that also helps, um, it helps folks sell to the right end user and prevent waste in that way. Um, so those are a couple of things that I can think of uh, kind of off the top of my head. Yeah, and it, it really is a science, like even, like because it's gotten more kind of bespoke, I would say, in terms of agriculture and stuff, but that's mm -hmm. where I think we, we would struggle in Ireland because you have the small, a lot of farms in Ireland, like there's a mix, so there's obviously the very commercial farms and then there's the inherited farms that have been in the family for years and they're very just kind of small scale farmers, they, they would provide very locally, but they wouldn't necessarily have the resource to put the energies into all of that kind of predicting and figuring all that out in the science. So I think, I think mm -hmm. that's where we kind of lag behind in giving them those, giving um, smaller farmers more of those resources so they can have more kind of sustainable practices. Um, and what would, what would you say, um, Laura, about the the UK and food waste. So, so both obviously both personally, your your yellow sticker and reducing food waste in supermarkets, but in terms of the UK as well for food waste, how, how would you see it? I mean, it's just really heartbreaking actually because the UK is the seventh richest country in the world. Yet, you know, there's nearly two million people that are undernourished, mm. and I think sometimes we don't always make that connection with, you know, the food that we're overlooking, the food that we're been in, you know, these things have a domino effect and there's people that are going to be a stone throw away from a master are living in food poverty or are going hungry. And, you know, and I, and I don't just mean people sort of um, perhaps that are street homeless, but this could be your neighbour. And, mm. you know, and, and I think that's, and I still seem to be a disconnect. And I think there's a lot that needs to be done on a governmental um, level and in terms of um, producers, retailers, you know, because I think almost what's happened with food is it's become like a dispose, you know, it's become so disposable now. And um, that we're, you know, we've almost sort of lost sight that food actually its primary function is to keep us alive it's to fuel us it's to provide energy and um and it's almost you know like when you, when um you guys were sort of saying about where well when Bree was saying about the takeout you know that almost it can be treated that flippantly like i don't fancy eating that we'll overlook that and we'll have a takeout yeah well, actually you know food is our life source and so i think you know there needs to be so much that's done on an organizational level but also there's stuff that we can do as individuals because i mean in the uk on average an average uk household weighs over 700 pounds of food a year and and i think it is really insane and I think we're not perhaps thinking about that when we're going to the bin you know we might just be thinking I don't fancy that I don't want to eat that I don't know what to do with that or I don't need that anymore the recipe doesn't call for that and it's interesting that you mentioned earlier about some of the challenges that you've seen because I've you know I've certainly done those and at the moment one that I'm doing is I've not food shopped for this is day 12 I think oh. so yeah, so I've not food shop for um, 12 days and I'm just going to basically 
really see how long I can continue to go for because I have a huge amount of food. Um, I use a food sharing app called Olio, and actually that's in the States as well, um, Brie. It won't be in all the States, but I've seen it. I think I saw it when I was in Atlanta. So, yeah, so have a look, and hopefully it's operating near you because it's a worldwide app. It's really good, and, you know, and if you're going on holiday, you're moving house, or you decide that you don't want something, you can share it on the app and people can collect it. So, and I think one of the great things about deciding that I'm not going to food shop at the moment is that it means that I have to shop from my cupboards and that would be my sort of starting point and tip for anybody who wants to lessen their food waste is, you know, start with what you've already got at home within your cupboards and because there's so much that you can make and actually a lot of times what I've realised when we're shopping is a lot of times we're doing this habitually, you know, mm. almost what, even what's making me a little bit anxious about, you know, sort of making a commitment not to food shop until I really need to, is not the food. It's almost just like, well, what do I do instead? You yeah. know, because, we, because these things that we do, you know, it's like when we're shopping for clothes, when we're shopping for food, a lot of the times it's not actually about that basic need. It's about buying into a feeling, a lifestyle, having something to do. It's like a routine, yeah. It is, yeah. But Thursday, because I I can say easily, like Thursday growing up was always shopping day in my family. Mm. And it was always just a given that Thursday was going to be when the food shop was done. And it's pretty much remained the same. Like it fluctuates a little. Um, And now that we're older, like it just, because I've just recently moved back home. So now that we're, my brother and I are older, like it kind of just, We'll pick stuff up ourselves or I'll go to the farmer's market or something but it's yeah it is that and it might I don't know if it's the same in the US as well but like it is very kind of habitual routine mm-hmm. this is what we do on a Thursday Friday or whatever day you've designated and you know we're creatures of habit you know so I yeah. think to an extent we're wired that way aren't we you know I remember when I was doing a um I did a no spend challenge for a week and mm. I went into the petrol station and on auto queue, I went to the chilled food section that I know that they have reduced items there, you know, and I couldn't tell you what I was going there for. It's not that I thought I need anything. I wanted anything. I just went, you know, and I had to remind myself, hang on, Laura, you're on a no spend challenge here. And, you know, so I think we just do these things automatically. So sometimes actually it's having to sort of sit and challenge ourselves and unpick things like earlier today, I decided to make a pie so I've made sort of a curried lentils and mixed veg pie and I made my own pastry this would be something that I would avoid doing usually you know Mm. because I would feel a bit daunted by it you know sort of making pastry you sort of feel like oh it's finicky and it's time consuming and it's out of my comfort zone it's out of my comfort zone because I don't tend to do it so it's um but it's only because I sort of decided to think okay well how can I make use of what I've got at the moment I've got three I've got three bags of different types of flour you know so I mean granted I've been given those for free because they're surplus. But ordinarily what would happen is I'll ignore them for as long as possible because to do something with them would require for me to do something that's a little bit different that is out of my comfort zone. You know, whereas today I've had to think to myself, right, no more messing about, Laura, make this pastry. 
-hmm. and I did, you know, and so I think sometimes it's almost having to um, have those sort of like conversations with yourself as well and you know and say if I mean we've been talking about onions so say onions for example you don't have the onions the recipe calls for well what do you have instead you know do you always have to go out to the shop okay well you don't have coriander do you have parsley do you have these what can you use instead of that because we just accumulate so much mm. otherwise and I think and what that then means is Whilst I, if I sit there and I continue to ignore the three bags of flour that mm. I have, I don't make a pie. I go and decide to make something else whilst I've got edible food sitting here and I bring in more stuff, you know, and this is mm. often what happens. So we, we bring in more food, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. I mean, most of us that are privileged enough to have a home and have a regular income, a lot of times it's filled full of stuff you know and whether that yeah. sort of food or belongings it's filled with stuff so and if it's really getting to the point okay well you can't use this who can you know because um can you share it with a neighbor a friend a work colleague with somebody that you see sitting down the road and um you know yeah. is there somebody that you could share something with and you know and i and sustainability was mentioned at the beginning and actually this is the idea of sustainability that it lasts it is ongoing and um and almost that there's a cycle mm. yeah you know, like and, and sharing creates that yeah and i think particularly given the kind of the the global landscape that we're in at the moment especially at the start of kind of the the pandemic i think a pandemic exasperates people's need to go out and especially in Ireland like I don't know if you the snow last year um or the couple of years ago we had the really bad snowstorm um which we we never get snow so like snow any bit of snow is huge for us but we had like the really bad snow um and then obviously this year with the pandemic like there was memes going around on the internet because you couldn't find bread or mm, milk mm, or mm. toilet roll on the shelves mm, because mm. people were panic buying a huge bulk and likely they weren't freezing that bread. So that bread was probably going to go off. Like I, I remember all during quarantine say, I really wanted to make a sourdough, could not find flour, yeast anywhere on the shelf. Like it was, people were just panic buying these, these things. So I think a pandemic. Oh, Danny, thing, mate, I've got three bags of flour. Yeah. Right? I'll, have to, I'll have to give you some. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and like, I would see as well, like those shows about it. Would you say, Brie, from an American perspective that, say, because couponing to me is huge in America, like from just what I've seen from rhetoric from friends and there's shows based on extreme couponing in America, it doesn't really exist in Ireland. I don't know if it exists mm -hmm. to the extent in the UK, but would you say that kind of need to do a weekly shop each week the need to stockpile on huge amounts of essentials just because they're at a certain price would be a kind of element that would play into increasing food waste yeah i think that's that's absolutely right on track um and yeah just the way in which stores mark down different items and things like that i think that certainly is um something that incentivizes um impulse perhaps purchasing um, and maybe not having a plan exactly, especially at when I think kind of in the uh, perishable items, fruits, vegetables, mm. et cetera. 
Um, so yeah, I think you're, you're definitely onto something there for sure. Yeah, no, I think because it's just such a like thing that just doesn't really exist. Like we have coupons mm-hmm. here, but they they don't seem to be to the same extent to warrant a show um, <laughs> about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and so we, we've kind of spoken about, um, touched a little bit on like nutrition and that food is for to obviously to power us and to keep us alive and sustained so to sustain ourselves so for Mm -hmm. you both um maybe if we start with brie first again so what would a sustainable diet for you guys look like on paper so if you were to take account of like being kind to the earth but also get making sure you get all of your food groups in there and then also sustaining yourself personally so keeping yourself healthy and fit and everything what would a sustainable diet look like for you on paper Mm, yeah that's a great question I think we've spoken about it a little bit already in terms of kind of the cyclical nature um so I really see kind of sustainable food as a system um and so of course that's that's like you mentioned sustaining or nourishing our own bodies um while also providing sustainable impacts um, on, on the environment. And then I think we also can bring in the, the economic and, and social angles as well. Um, and so I guess that might be the umbrella. In terms of me personally, um, I, I have practiced a, a whole food plant-based diet now for um, over seven years. Um, that doesn't include any animal products. Um, and kind of started out Kind of with the ethical angle and it's grown to include um, economic and environmental and then of course nutritional um, and really just felt and um, in my own way of, of kind of living through this lifestyle um, incredibly well um, I, I think I, I feel better each year I almost feel like I'm, I'm aging in reverse but I truly believe that 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 way of living is really helping yeah. um, and and I think you know your diet is, is more beyond food also what you expose yourself to and listen to etc but um yeah so I think that that's um kind of kind of what what I do um I guess from an economic perspective when I went to, to university and started buying my own food and seeing you know um rice and beans are much more affordable than chicken and hamburger for example mm-hmm. um and so it just kind of seemed like everything um aligned with my value system as well as um kind of the way in which I wanted to feel um so yeah that's kind of the the journey that I've been on um but um yeah it's been great so far great and um Laura what for you kind of what would a sustainable diet look for like for you on paper I guess for me sustainability is something that is going to give to energy so it's going to provide mm. energy uplift it's not going to deplete you know so i guess whether that depletion is we're talking about um and you know inequalities when it comes to food access food positive uh, poverty you know the um, environmental impacts the uh, of repercussions of landfill with gas emissions you know to me this is all stuff that is actually depleting from energy whether it's Mm. individuals communities um the earth so something sustainability is things that you want it really to last and enhance and grow um and i guess in terms of how do i eat sustainability sustainable um so i guess it's really 
I eat what is available and you know and there's so much surplus food that this is lasting and actually I've been able to eat in this way irrespective of what my diet's been you know so when I've, I've been carnivore vegetarian pescatarian now vegan and you know and often there's this sort of misconception that a vegan diet is expensive you know and each way I've eaten, I've done this of food that is actually going to be wasted, you know. Mm-hmm. And and again, I think there's this sort of idea that you can't do that and have a healthy diet. Well, you can, you know, because there's so much. I mean, you know, people with allotments, people growing their own veg. I had a friend just yesterday came by to give me carrots and tomatoes because, you know, people often throw huge amounts that they can't get through, you know. So there is so there's so much food available. Um whether it's an apple tree up the road. So actually there is so much sort of food, healthy food that is mm. available and can last. So I guess in terms of what do I do personally, it's making use of what I've got and, yeah. you know, and the sort of stuff that I come across, um, you know, so whether that's oats for breakfast or, you know, a curry that I've made for dinner or a soup for lunch, yeah food is in abundance and you know there's never really anything that I'm going without yeah definitely and like you've kind of both touched on it a little bit there um but how kind of if you were to look at your respective countries how accessible would you say a sustainable food diet would be if you were to just go with your own model of what what sustainable food and sustainable eating is for you um how accessible would you say and when I say accessible I mean so the everyday person um and then thinking of economic kind of socioeconomic um different circumstances like how accessible would you say it would be so if we go kind of Brie and then Laura again mm-hmm. yeah I think um we certainly do have accessibility issues um in the United States um I think of course, in the rural areas, it's challenging to especially um, transport the fresh produce into those areas, especially I'm thinking maybe in the, in the northern United States where they can't grow, um, they can't grow produce or it's much more challenging to grow produce all, um, throughout the entire year, although things like greenhouses and that um, sort of thing are popping up. Um, but I think perhaps even more alarming is um, urban food deserts, um, so maybe in the middle of the city. Um, there all, all the you know many people have access to is a convenience store in some places. Um, so I think in terms of, of accessibility, there there certainly are some challenges that we ought to overcome. Um, but perhaps for the most part, um, you know middle class um, Americans um, and even some you know lower class really do have um, a plethora of, of different options um, that we're able to purchase. And I think. In the United States, I think this also contributes to a lot of food waste. In fact, that um, when you look like um, to cost of food and, and earnings ratio, um, the cost of food is actually quite low for the most part. Um, so I think that that also perhaps incentivizes folks to buy more than they need just because um, they can. Mm-hmm. And so that's another interesting point. But I think, um, you know, other than a couple of outliers, for the most part, um, accessibility is 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 fair and I think um I hope anyway that it's that it's on the rise for everyone as well yeah and I know just just before you go to Laura I know you you kind of worked in government before so 
what would you see kind of would you see that there's a big push in government for accessibility or how would you rate the kind of the the efforts made um yeah i would say there's there's a huge push both on the sustainable agriculture production side in terms of how do we produce food in mm -hmm. a way that is sustainable but then also in an accessibility um side of things including um we have a, a program called the um let's see it's um essentially it's a it's a nutrition program in which um, we provide individuals um, with coupons for example to go in and get food and that's really a um, a well i think sought after program and one that we continue to pour a lot of time energy and money into in, in order to increase the efficiency in the way in which it's run um, and so I think there's a, a ginormous focus on that, um, kind of really from all angles. Um, and it was really fun to kind of be at the, at the center point in that space. Mm. And thanks for some of these really, really big and complex and dynamic problems um, and, and trying different things that might not always, you know, work well the first time and we might need to try them again. But at the end of the day, um, you know, also getting to be boots on the ground to some extent and meeting those people face to face and understanding what their challenges are and how we as you know whether it be at the, at the federal level or at the state level or even county level um really how we can best serve their needs um and and also within those programs there are um you know back to work initiatives and things along those lines to help um kind of instill that dignity back into individuals who might need it um just kind of given the the, the complexity there's a lot of different moving parts but i think that yes there's there's a lot of energy spent in that area at this time and would you say there's um sorry i feel like i'm giving you like a spanish inquisition on um uh, sustainable food in the states and would you say kind of much um food poverty would exist in in the us um did you say how much food poverty exists? no would you say much so w would it be quite prevalent in the us would you say Ah, food poverty. Um, it's certainly prevalent, yes. Um, mm. But I think um, there are s several initiatives to, to try to combat it. So yeah, I, I don't think that we've, we've got it all figured out for sure, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, and Laura, so what, what would your kind of take me on the accessibility of a sustainable diet in the UK? I mean, I think it's such a huge question because there are so many factors to be considered within that, yeah. you know, and, um, and we've touched upon some of the socioeconomic um, issues and I think like Bree described, there are um, issues I think within the UK sort of, of a bit of a postcode lottery and, you know, sort of what stores are available in which areas yeah. and, um, you know, and, and that's just one factor you know and I think there's so many other competing demands and um in people's lives so whether it's around their emotional well-being or mental health or um resilience or resources or education or responsibilities commitments you know it's so huge and I think okay so I suppose to almost to uh, start to unpick some of that and to really improve access i think i think the key has to be around community and 
sort of helping one another because I guess one of the difficult things and we sort of touched upon this is that there can be almost this individualistic viewpoint you know when you described people sort of bulk buying I mean that was definitely happening as we went into the UK so I think sort of you know and I think understandably because people were panicked they were concerned they were stressed they were worried but I think almost what happens is there then becomes this um tendency to hanker down you know like let's keep me and mine safe and so we we didn't start to ignore our neighbor or um so I think that almost what happens is we have to start to raise community and helping one another because you know how many of us you know if we're honest you know how many of us have probably walked past somebody that's homeless or been on a train and not made eye contact you know and it might not become from a place of um wanting to you know demean the person or you know but it might just be it makes us feel uncomfortable yeah so, you know so often we might walk by and do nothing and i think that actually what's happened as well with lockdown is really brought to the forefront actually how much we do need one another um Mm -hmm. you know because I guess even sort of in terms of lockdown my mum was shielding um I was then responsible for doing all of her food shop you know and this has probably been the first time in I don't know how long that I've really I've been or one of the very few times that I've had to do that and you know not just for my mum I'm the only person within my family that has a car so I was then dropping food off for family members you know so they perhaps needed me in a way that they wouldn't have before and you know so I think so that was actually one of the nice things is that sort of see that going back to basics in that we're cooking for one another you know we're able to um, help each other out and I think almost that that's what needs to start happening a little bit more to um improve access to everybody you know I guess your own you know like they say don't they you know you're only sort of as strong as your weakest link so I think you know so there needs to be um a focus on raising others up yeah no definitely and I think given like it's of particular importance I think to take that kind of approach in say countries like Ireland because you have remote villages and towns where often people can be overlooked and quite isolated, especially yeah, older persons. Yeah, absolutely. And especially, I guess, if you don't have access to the internet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, like, like we probably do have, um, similar to what Bruce was saying, about food deserts, we, we would probably have in terms of accessibility to shops because public transport outside of the cities is pretty weak, but we would have wi-fi deserts where people like it was a whole big broadband scandal in ireland and but there are particular sections where like people can't get proper wi-fi and proper so there and people are living there so there is that kind of isolating and then we talk about kind of the particular areas in ireland like the the very west of ireland where people would refer to there were periods where there was what's called a brain drain so the young people rather than stay in those areas were moving to the bigger cities to mm, mm, go to mm. university and then remaining in those cities so slowly but surely if all the younger kind of people move out and start to the population is going to remain to get older and older and those people will be quite isolated so yeah I think I think a community kind of um way of tackling it to make it more accessible and I think it's a big thing around education as well because 
really is because actually as we were talking earlier it was sort of you know I've um I've done sort of your cookery class here and there for sort of fun and um you know and learning and skills but you know I'm able to do that from a person you know as a person that's in a um privileged position yeah you know so there's so many people that don't have the privilege to say well do you know what I just fancy doing an evening course where I'm gonna go and learn how to make this Thai dish you know so I think um yeah and also I have resources by way of the internet or cookery books you know that I can um sort of empower myself that way and you know and I really just wanted to mention a um charity that I volunteer with called the Felix Project and what they do is they collect surplus food from eateries and they rely on volunteers to drive it to um hostels um so you know and to really share the food there and you know and I've um and when I volunteered with them it's actually been really a really humbling experience because never in my life have I had to really rely on um I mean in my adult life had to rely on or depend on somebody else to provide a meal for me you know and I think and often we um I don't know. I just wonder how how often we think about that, really. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely a thing that like. Um, so I would when I'm really good, I would love the practice of um, focusing on like what I'm grateful for, and I think people mm, mm, focus mm. quite a lot on. Um, I don't know what kind of your views will be for you as well. Like people, I, I think focus on like the very big things that they're really grateful for, but because because mm-hmm. I work with um people homeless are at risk of homelessness like it's just the area of law that I I practice in and work in and I would find that working in that area has made me a lot more grateful for um like having my family live in more than one bedroom because we're not an emergency accommodation Mm -hmm. having a roof over our head so it's the little things that I think like that the the access to the internet access to the ability to cook whatever kind of food that we want to cook or live that sustainable lifestyle. So I think we kind of need to taper it back a bit um, and just start with it with the very basics. But so one of the things that really irks me and it, it, it's a thing that runs like I'm, I'm very cognizant of because there's quite a lot of them um, in my family. Um, but dietary based diseases, so diseases that are caused by lifestyle so lifestyle diseases so um they're I would say they're probably more rampant than diseases caused by genetics I don't know if that's the correct way of saying it Brie might be able able to to tell me the the science way um but uh what what kind of so how would you say like how do you because I know, Brie, you have particularly mentioned that you've never felt as good since living the lifestyle that you live. So what kind of drove you both to A, veganism, and then B, what drove you both to live that kind of more healthier, wholesome lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know in the United States, the 15 leading causes of death claim the lives of 1.6 million Americans annually. Um, and each of which, other than car accidents, um, 
can be prevented at least to some extent with um, diet and lifestyle. Um, and so I think honestly, that was, that is and was the most compelling reason for me to live the way in which I live now in terms of um, eating a whole food plant-based diet. Um, and I think the way in which I came across it was um, actually while I was studying biology and chemistry and taking a nutrition course and diving deep into the peer-reviewed scientific literature and coming across um, a realization whereby um, I have a couple members of my family who have high cholesterol, for example, um, and the understanding that plant-based or plants do not contain cholesterol. And so it was like this really crazy realization to me that they, my family members who had high cholesterol were not being told this by their physicians that if you eliminate or dramatically decrease the amount of animal products that you're consuming, naturally your cholesterol levels will, will decrease, but instead they're being treated with a, a pharmaceutical drug, which has um, unfortunately some harmful side effects to some individuals. Um, and so I just got on this journey and started learning everything that I could about um, how we can prevent these diseases, especially in the United States, we have um, some challenges with our medical system as well, mm -hmm. um, you know, prior to COVID even. Um, and so, you know, what can we be doing on an individual level, but then also from a public health perspective on educating individuals about how they can prevent these, these lifestyle diseases, which are, you know, incredibly um, harmful to one's quality of life. And I, I really think, you know, we always say like, oh, you know, you only live once. But I think if, you know, if we're doing it right, living once is enough. But unfortunately, you know, so many lives are being cut short because of um, lifestyle-ridden diseases, um, which really just doesn't make, you know, life as vibrant and exciting as it really should be. Um, and so I think those were some of the, some of the driving factors that have kind of led me to where I am now and um, continue to fuel my passion um, in, in this space, because I really want to share with, you know, anyone who's, who's willing to listen, um, that there is another way and, you know, you don't have to sacrifice taste anymore. Um, this day and age mm. food science is absolutely incredible. Um, and, and so I think that there are, there are just so many different avenues and, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited and encouraged and inspired every time I get to speak about it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, and definitely because I've started reading quite a lot recently about the mind-gut connection. So, mm -hmm. and it's a thing that's never spoken about. So, like coming from a person who has had or who has, say, anxiety, depression, and has dealt with it for quite a number of years, it's never anything that any doctor has ever said to me. The the connection that they have and the different things. And it was actually I was speaking to a nutritionist once, and. I kind of said, mentioned something and she was just like, oh, well, they're, they're very connected. Um, and then that, that just led me down a whole rabbit hole. I found it absolutely fascinating. And then due to kind of, so say we, we would have diabetes in our family. So, um, but one of the, one of it was caused by the side effect from heart medication. So to take a medication to help mm. with something else and then get, get another kind of disease is just, so uh, yeah, I think they're just, I think we're, we have a big lacuna in terms, and there are people who are coming up in the medical profession, like our generation, who are coming with all this armory of knowledge. And I think that will be the medical profession going forward. But I think, yeah, it, it really kind of frustrates me. So so that that's really interesting to hear that that's kind of where you came, because every, 
everyone thinks people like I'd say anyone that like personally I'm not vegan but I would be wouldn't eat quite a lot of meat anyway but I would eat what I would refer to well try to eat a wholesome sustainable diet so shopping locally and good produce and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. um it's so funny to hear kind of your reasoning behind it which is very like very valid strong reasoning to to live the lifestyle that you do um but it's so funny with if you were to just say oh I'm vegan or oh I follow a wholesome diet you would probably be faced with so many stereotypes which is so bad Mm -hmm. (laughs) like people be like oh it's just like an ethical thing like you just love the animals and you're like no well in the round it's ethical but it's also all of these health reasons that I have studied before and seen in my family that Mm -hmm. are preventative have driven me to this way so I I think it's a a really kind of not that no not that saving the animals isn't a good reason but I just think it it, Mm -hmm. is a very kind of well thought out and then what Laura what would be your kind of journey would you say with kind of veganism and living um a more kind of healthier life like what kind of led you to go from being say from your journey so being a very picky eater probably at quite a lot of processed food just out of the the being a picky eater to the lifestyle that you live now where you probably will try a lot of foods well, I mean, I guess our, um, you know, sort of our relationships and histories with food can be complex and non-linear. So um, to try and sort of keep it succinct, because I guess there's so many um, things that will factor in. But I guess in terms of the veganism, that was really a gradual transition and born really I suppose from buying reduced foods because what would happen is that because I was sort of just didn't got to the point where I was only buying stuff if it was yellow sticker I was buying less and less meat um because you'd get you know you there's so much fruit and veg that is available um there's fewer meat products and everybody's always fighting over the meat so it just meant sort of naturally I was buying more less meat and I uh, like a lot of vegetarian food and I liked experimenting with things that were different so uh, then got to a point where I thought and I guess there was sort of a range of reasons I thought okay well why don't I sort of see how I go not eating meat and you know some of those reasons have sort of included um, animal welfare and health and I guess as time has gone on it's become more of an interest in terms of the environmental um, impact uh, factory farming can have and so yeah so I guess it was a gradual transition like I said I stopped eating meat first and then fish and then was vegetarian and thought you know what I'm gonna give sort of veganism a go but I guess ultimately it arose from reducing food waste and shopping in a way that I was um when I guess I sort of think about what has led me to uh, be far more open with food and you know and leave a healthier lifestyle um diet than what I do now to say 20 years ago I think actually the main differences have been confidence and ability when it comes to food you know because I guess Mm -hmm. when I sort of think back to uh being at university say and I was always in a chicken shop or you know you'd always see me with a can of coke um and 
you know, and I rarely cook, it was because I just didn't really know where to start, you know, so I wouldn't know where to start. I wouldn't think, well, I'm going to cook something because I just wouldn't even know where to begin. What am I going to cook? What am I going to make? Um, but I guess sort of shopping in a way I did gave me the impetus to think, well, what can I make? So it probably started with like a simple stir fry and then it um, gradually grows and grows and grows. And then these things are a transition because I suppose even when I'm, I'm talking about it, I'm talking about really sort of a journey that has um, been going on for a number of years, but the buying yellow sticker has, you know, has been nine years and that has actually probably been a short period in a longer journey, if that makes mm, sense. Um, yeah. um, so I think, you know, so often it can be, we see people when they are in uh, one place in their lives and, you know, but we don't see how much comes before that. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I suppose the key changes really were growing in terms of confidence and, um, you know, which prompts you to be more open and trying new things. No, definitely. And for for anyone who's listening, what would your you guys, what would be your kind of top tips for someone who wants to transition to that more wholesome way of living and even not necessarily veganism, but someone that just wants to start kind of be more cognizant of if they're producing quite a lot of food waste or cognizant of when they're purchasing with what they're purchasing in a sustainable way so what would be your tips to kind of anyone listening yeah um i think for me uh, especially in in terms of a, a nutrition transition um would be to be very gentle on yourself um we have of course we talked about these huge ginormous problems that we we want to solve um but understanding that each incremental change that you make is you know, it really does add up to um, become a big change eventually. And I think if we can go, you know, transition, you know, approach a transition in, in a way that's gentle and incremental, um, that does help lead us towards sustainable change uh, rather than something that is a complete 180 and a, a dramatic jump that might work for some people. But the science suggests that um, as we add little different things in over time, um, we are able to kind of to maintain and to grow in that way. Um, and along those lines, I think um, if you're looking to transition um, to a, to a plant-based diet and lifestyle, um, what I found to be helpful is to, instead of think about it in a restrictive way, like I'm, I'm not going to eat meat, um, you know, 100%, think about, you know, what additional amount of vegetables can I add to this meal? that will you know, provide me the calories or satisfaction that, that the meat would. So maybe you're just decreasing your portions and moving, moving in that direction. Um, but I think it's, it's in human nature to automatically become resistant to something when you're, you're restricting. Um, so I like to think of it as kind of a, a, a creative addition uh, in that way. And um, yeah, I think those are, those are some things that, that worked for me and several other folks in my circle. So um, yeah, I guess I would share that for now. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a really good way of putting it because I think anything to do with adopting a more sustainable lifestyle, so whether it's, I don't know, sustainable food habits, sustainable fashion, um, going zero waste, or I think people you need to be kinder to yourself. Like you're not going to be perfect overnight and it's not going to be 
you're not going to be able to maintain it. So it's not going to be maintainable if you just go cold turkey. So I think, I think that, that, that's, that's some good tips. And, and changing the mindset, I think is a really good one as well. So think mm-hmm. of it as, oh, I can't have that thing. Think of all the abundance of new things that you can try and new kind of ways you can experiment with food. So, so there are some good tips. And Laura, what about you? think start off with thinking about what it is that you want to change what what is it that you want to be different um so and you know and begin with doing something that's within your ability right now and you know it's something that you can implement and so I think maybe just focus on small changes so for example if it's bothering you and you're thinking oh you know what I waste far too much food you know think about what is the what is the main food that you waste is it bread okay what can we do can we buy um less breaded items can I freeze it um can I move things around in my fridge so I use the stuff that I bought later sooner um so I think think about what is the change that you want to make and start with something quite simple and also start with something that you can that might challenge you, but you can master. So I guess if it's thinking about, okay, well, I find myself throwing away veg at the end of the week. So I'm going to sort of, this this week, I'm going to make sure that I make a soup with all the odd bits, you know? So it might be something that feels a little bit challenging because you're doing something different. You might be cooking a recipe that you've not done before, but, you know, the likelihood is you can master a soup. So, and then I, what will then happen is you will um, feel a sense of achievement, you've accomplished something and you feel good about yourself. You know, so actually change happens when we're enjoying it, when we feel good, when we feel proud, when we're, um, you know, so it, it needs to be something that we're going to feel happy about. And then these things become in a bit of a domino effect, don't they? You know, you start to then do something different or add in something else, you know, like, I mentioned at the beginning when it came to, you know, I never started off buying yellow stickers, guys, thinking, oh, well, this is going to be wonderful for the environment and I'm going to do my bit to combat food waste. You know, what I thought was, this is great. I've served myself 30 quid. You know, that's what, that was my focus. But then these things build over time. So I think just start with where you are and um, implement a change so wherever that mm. sense of dissonance is coming from you know so actually if your sense of dissonance is coming from well do you know what i want to eat less meat introduce um a plant-based recipe that you're going to try out you mm. know do a meat-free monday or um you know sort of do half and half so think about what it is that you want to change and have that be your starting point really me and I think I think kind of like it sounds cliche given that we're talking about like sustainable food and sustainable food habits but I think you need to do it in a sustainable way um so so, yeah so introducing those things like meat-free Monday or even being a bit selfish and thinking rather from thinking of off the perspective of well I'm cutting down on all of this waste no I just saved myself 30 quid so like I think thinking of it in those kind of ways and changing your mindset towards it, I think is, is definitely um, a good way of thinking of it. Um, and actually just before um, we, we kind of finish up, one thing I just wanted to touch on um, 
which is mainly kind of directed towards Laura is um, urban foraging. And I know you had, said <laughs> you, you had some experience with that. And I just thought like, it's the other kind of extreme end of sustainable diet. So just for anyone who is kind of on that journey already and wants to kind of go a bit further, just if you wanted to kind of talk about your experiences with it. And um, that, I think that would be super interesting. I mean, I guess it's funny because I never really set out to be a forager. Uh, you, know, and I, you know, when it's not, you know, like we have something here called, uh, you know, the term freegans, the people that will um, just pick up food for free. So it might be stuff that supermarkets have thrown out. And, you know, and I can't say that this is something that I ever set out to do. Um, so again, I suppose like everything, it's been just something that I've gradually um, started to do. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, not consciously, but I think almost what happens is that I guess when you become sort of, um, when you know, when you have an interest in food waste, when you see how much surplus food there is, you often just see other stuff, you know, so it might be that I'm walking past the store and I see stuff that the store has left outside, so I'll pick that up, or I will um, see an apple on the street and I'll pick that up. Or actually, on my road um, a couple of months back, there were all of these sealed tins of um, chopped tomatoes. So I don't know whether they'd come from a store or they'd come from a household, but I mean, you know, in total, there were like 50 or tins of tomato, you know. I picked those up and um, and I used them. So, uh, so yeah, I'm not sure if I'm really answering the question here. Um, you know, I think, I think you kind of are in a way because you just kind of went for it. You just did it. Because so I, I don't know that it was really sort of conscious. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. So I don't think I ever thought, okay, right, I'm going to set out to be a forager it was almost yeah. a case of well those are tins of tomatoes and I'm going to use them and I, and and perhaps as well it was um you know it was maybe questioning some of perhaps maybe my own stereotypes or maybe what I imagine might come from other people because I guess what you imagine some people might say is well, you know, you can't pick up those tins of tomatoes. You don't know where they've been or where they've happened to them. Well, actually, I can see that they're intact. I can see that they're sealed. I can see that, see that they're not contaminated. And, you know, so I make a judgment call. Um, you know, if I pick up an apple off the street, I can, you know, I can wash that. So, yeah. and, and I, you know, and I make my own judgment call, you yeah. know, I, I mean, I have been in cinema and I've seen somebody leave behind a box of, um, unfinished popcorn and I've picked it up and eaten it and actually you know I posted it on Instagram and I had a lot of people sort of saying you know how can you do that I mean I had yeah. with me sort of saying oh Laura you know you did that um, but I make my own judgment call because you know my yeah. judgment is well do you know what if whoever this individual is that's been eating it is comfortable eating it the likelihood is this popcorn is not contaminated and actually I know yeah. no more about his hygiene than what I do about people in my family or my friends I don't go with people when they go to the toilet you know I don't know how often people wash their hands I don't ask my friends and family yeah. these questions but what seeps in is our prejudices majority of the time you know and almost a fear of the other or the stranger so um 
So I guess I, I make a personal judgment call and I can't tell somebody else to do that. You need to do yeah. what you feel comfortable in um in doing. But yeah. also perhaps maybe okay, perhaps maybe what a starting point might be is if you see things that are tinned, you see things that you know, tins, the idea of a can is that it lasts. You know, tins were invented to preserve food. And so if you see a, a tinned food, you already can make an assumption that it's there to preserve and you'll often be able to tell whether it's damaged. You know, you can see from the packaging whether it's damaged. So then you can make a judgment call based on that information that you have. Um, yeah. So, and then also, if you're unsure about something, then perhaps you look into it, you know? So it might be that you go on a FoodGov website and sort yeah. of look at how can you store this or how long does it last or will it go off you yeah know? um and i yeah no i was just gonna say i think it's something that people will very freely do say on facebook marketplace or free cycle in terms of like maybe clothes or furniture and stuff but it's it's not a thing that i think many people would do with with food but yet restaurants will or say even supermarkets will dispose of I think I saw a post recently where a woman had walked the streets of New York. I think it was a TikTok actually. And she basically did a TikTok of all the things she found on the curbside in the street, on mm. like a street in New York. And it was like, like fully still like tinned, like lentils, tomatoes, not even open, not touched, packaged clothes, like handbags, a blender wow. that someone was throwing out that like, had nothing wrong with it like it was they must have just decided to buy a new blender or something but they were throwing it out like fair fair enough if you want to get rid of it but there's there's better ways to get rid of electronic waste than, than to do it that way um and yeah it was just really interesting to see um Brie have you ever had any urban foraging experiences you know, I haven't, but I'm very inspired now from, <laughs> from you, Danny and Laura as well. Um, yeah. I'm going to need to check it out and see what I can find. But I know, um, I guess I grew up in a very small town in North Dakota, but it's, it's very commonplace. I think similar to what Laura is talking about with, with Rosaksa community, we're always sharing food from our garden and things like that. So I have had those experiences with, with folks that I know in the community, but I uh, would love to venture out and, you know, kind of spread my wings and fly into the next um, kind of sustainability movement. I'm, I'm feeling really encouraged now. Yeah, even if it's a case of, I suppose, like doing kind of what, what Laura would do in that. Sorry, I cannot remember the name of that app. I must see if it's in oh, Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, O-L-I-O. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, that's even excellent because if you think the amount, if you travel often and you have things that are just going to go bad or you're not going to use or maybe something you purchase but you purchase the wrong type of something and you're not going to use it being able to just throw it up in an app and then have someone in your local area that might 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 need it um i think is is kind of maybe the first step of urban foraging for me will be yeah absolutely yeah yeah because even things like, you know, actually when I, when I went vegan, you know, like automatically I had stuff to go on the app, you know? Mm -hmm. So sometimes it just might be when you are making, um, 
diet changes and this is actually when you often see food being wasted it might not even be say somebody that's going vegan perhaps but you get somebody that thinks oh do you know what i'm going to do this new exercise routine so i'm going to buy all these protein shakes you know but then they throw everything out like exactly my big thing is like because so many of my friends have been like so say toiletry products so say toothpaste all that kind of stuff want to move to a more sustainable like so say a shampoo they want to move from buying store-bought shampoo to the more shampoo bars or from the general kind of store-bought deodorant to a more natural deodorant and for example and they will instead of they've been like oh I must get rid of mine and get one and I'm like no the best thing you can do is just use the one you have at the moment exactly and then when that's gone then you can kind of like make your more sustainable purchase because you're just adding waste of things that you could use for a longer period of time um, and I think it's the same with food as well. Like when someone makes Lately. a diet change, they're like, oh, I got to clear out all the junk food in my like cupboard so I'm not tempted to eat it. I'm like, just give it to someone else. I'm sure mm-hmm. someone else would love the cookies. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Or, 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 you know, it doesn't have to be one or the other, does it? Either, you know, like these things can still have a place. So, um, you know, you, so you can still use some of that so like because I think sometimes we fall into this either or as well don't we and actually that's not sustainable so you know so it it, it can be I don't know like okay right well you want to eat a little bit healthier but you've got um burgers in the freezer well why don't you do those with um a salad or add them onto a vegetable Mm -hmm. stew or chop them up and use them in a dish or you know so I think actually like you said is really utilized Thing, what you've got and um you know and that can be uh, well I mean there's so many sort of weird and wonderful things that you can do with whatever you already have you know we there doesn't need to be this sort of real um absolute I'm doing this I'm not doing this attitude yeah and so speaking of lovely things um what would be your kind of ever since you've kind of transitioned to a more kind of like wholesome and vegan diet what would be your go-to like if you wanted to treat yourself what would be your kind of go-to thing Mm, that's a good question for me I guess my guilty expensive pleasure is um acai bowls Ooh, I can make a pretty gosh. great one myself now, but there's something about going out to a restaurant and getting one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess, and I think they're fairly healthy for the most part. Um, but that's yeah. one thing that I love, especially in the summer, I guess. Oh, they're good. See, the thing is here, you can get the acai powder, but you can't get, do you know the way you can get the the frozen kind of as, like acai, like pods, say, or you would, put into a bowl yeah we don't we wouldn't have those in Ireland well if we do I just haven't come across them so it's it's powder mm-hmm. and it's it's not as good they're good but when I was in Bali last summer I was just getting acai bowls left right and center like mm. they're so good and I think it's because you can be really moorish with what toppings you put on the bowl as well very true yeah, yeah. um and Laura what would be yours well, it's such a difficult question because I suppose if I'm eating out, then I just like to go to different vegan restaurants. So I like to, um, yeah. so one of my things is when I eat out, I like to eat stuff that I wouldn't ordinarily have at home or I can't easily yeah. make at home. Um, 
and we've got so many vegan restaurants now in London so I like to experiment and just go somewhere different yeah and I guess my sort of go-to treat in the house that's really tricky because whatever is in my house is sort of dependent on what I've either got reduced or free so Mm -hmm. I don't tend to have um real regular staples other than coffee um (laughs) but maybe if I had to pick one it would probably be something involving bananas because I do tend to have a regular supply of bananas in my freezer yeah um because you should make do you know like nice cream where you put it yeah 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 I've done that and and so yes I suppose anything to do with bananas because you know you can often get so many bananas for free or reduced and actually I love getting them when they're soft because you can pop them straight in the freezer and yeah you know and they're great for making banana porridge especially if you've got no milk um so, you know, banana bread, obviously we've all been making since being in lockdown and like you said, a nice cream and then they make for smoothies and... And then um, the, the, you had to have baked the traditional quarantine banana bread. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Seems like yeah, everyone, I don't know if it made it over to the US, Brie, but everyone yes, definitely was baking uh-huh. a banana bread and soda bread <laughs> was a big one as well. Banana bread, yeah. soda bread, any kind of... I think everyone just became these culinary geniuses during during lockdown. Um, Completely. And it makes for such a lovely, um, savoury dish as well, actually. You could do banana curry and banana chutney. So, um, I don't think I've ever thought of having it savoury before. Have you had it savoury before, Brie? No, I haven't. Um, Now I'm really intrigued. I'm like, because I've had, obviously, like, I think of, even though they're not bananas, like plantain, like I've had that on yeah, savoury, yeah. but I've never thought of bananas. Interesting. Well, when banana peel has been my big thing, actually, um, since well, when we went into lockdown, so making sort of um, pulled banana peel and adding banana peel into um Banana bread, chopped up finely, oh. caramelising banana peel. And what else did I do with banana peel? I made a chutney with banana peel as well as bananas. And mm-hmm. um, You were just the go-to person for banana recipes. Like, you could definitely have an Instagram page dedicated to banana recipes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah probably frozen bananas are the thing that I have... Um, the most often, yeah. So I guess if I'm going to pick a go-to treat, then it would be something involving bananas. And, <laughs> and, like, and like you said, they can, um, you know, I mean, you just, they can cross so many food groups, really. You know, so so either sweets yeah. or savoury, yeah. Excellent. Well, um, so we'll start kind of wrapping up. But before we do, are there any kind of closing thoughts or tips or anything you want to share just in relation to the, the whole kind of topic sustainable food agriculture anything so if we start think, yeah oh sorry whoever wants to go first yeah sorry go ahead <laughs> yeah. um I think you know I guess one thing that I would want to say is that you know we've spoken about so many big issues today mm. you know so um and and what I want is for somebody to just do something that is manageable when you can do right now and not feel overwhelmed because sometimes we can mm. be presented with so much information and we sort of think, oh, well, I can't do anything about that, you know? Mm. So I think just um, start with where you are. So whether that's um, trying a 
vegetable that you've never tried before or you know putting a dish together or you know just whatever it is it's really quite simple just start and do something yeah yeah Yeah, no definitely um and what about you Brie any any final thoughts or tips or um, I think Laura might have alluded to this before, but I think it's really important that we have fun and embrace these kind of challenges personally as an adventure, um, mm-hmm. because I think that's such a catalyst for um, any kind of change that, that one might be willing to initiate. Um, mm-hmm. And I know like, um, even as Laura mentioned, trying out new vegan restaurants or something like that, any road trip or travel that I do, that's always kind of part of the, the creative process is how do we get to try these different things? And it, it becomes like this whole adventure and it, it just, it's really exciting and encouraging. So I think that's another aspect to just keep in mind and um, yeah. have fun with it. And, um, and I think that will just continue to, to build upon and, you know, we'll um, be making systemic change before we know it. I think we already are in fact. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's definitely like, there's that phrase that comes to mind, like Rome wasn't built in a day. So you're not going to become a sustainable mm-hmm. guru who like, I think everyone pictures, I don't know, so many of my friends, or if I start talking about like sustainability, some of them would be like, you just want to go like flee to Bali and live in an ashram and be, do your yoga every day and solve world hunger. Yeah, I want like, to do that. Yes, yes, yeah, like do but that, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm like, it, you don't have to be like, all in that 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 extreme like you can do your everyday stuff and still continue to live the lifestyle that you do so you don't have to be a perfectionist or be doing everything overnight like that little step is okay you know people that you know people that are into sustainability you know there's things that they'll feel bad about that they've not done yeah. sustainable you know none of mm-hmm. us are are they you know like none of us are um yeah. infallible and none of us are perfect you know so I think everybody is on a journey you're just seeing people at various stages like I get judged so much when I'm like oh I love sustainability blah 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 and people are like oh so you're vegan and I'm like no and they're like Mm. how can you be really sustained and I'm like it's a transition I would like to make but I'm just not there yet and then like and I have like I follow a sustainable diet which means like I shop locally and I try to get produce which is in season and which can be grown in Ireland and stuff so it's not adding in that way but yeah it's it's always a thing like people always find an issue initially but um and then the other thing that comes to mind is just with free talking it's like that thing where if you love your job you'll never work a day so mm-hmm. if you love your diet and you're really adventurous and you just push yourself out of your comfort zone and go try new things and new restaurants and make it kind of fun and a game. I think it'll never be, oh, I'm doing this being vegan for a month. It's such a like torture, like I can't eat meat. So I think mm-hmm. you definitely need to see the fun and everything. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll just wrap up. So thank you so much to both of you for coming on board. Like there was like we could I could continue talking about this for literally hours. Like we could do a part two, three, mm-hmm. four, and onwards. <laughs> um but yeah just before we go if you guys want to just say maybe if you want where people can find you online if you want to kind of shout out your social handles um yeah of course um so i am on instagram at legally underscore brie b-r-e-e um and then also um i'm i'm becoming more active on linkedin um so you can find me under my name and it's 
Bree, B-R-E-E, and the last name is spelled V-C-U-L-E-K. So I would love to connect. Perfect. And Laura? Uh, the simplest way to find me is on Instagram as at reduction underscore radar and the number one. And yeah, you can see what I'm up to there. Perfect. Yeah, no, definitely. And thank you both so much um, for coming on board. It's super interesting chat. Like you come from both diverse backgrounds professionally, but also we, we had a really good dynamic of Ireland and the UK and then obviously um, further afield in the US. So yeah, thanks so much. Oh, I've loved yeah. it. Thank you. Thank you.